Thanks to Quip for supporting this week's Motley Fool Money. Join over 3 million healthy mouths and check everyone off your gift list right now with Quip. Just go to getquip.com fool to save on gift sets and get your first refill free with a refill plan. Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I need From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio this week, senior analyst Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey. How you doing? We've got the latest earnings from Wall Street. Retirement expert Robert Brokamp has got some year-end money tips. And as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with sports retail. Nike's second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. And Nike's Jordan brand had its first ever billion-dollar quarter. And despite all that, Ron... <laughs> All that goodness, shares of Nike down a little bit on Friday. You know, Nike almost always beats expectations, but the stock still sells off about a third of the time. So you never know. But this was a solid quarter. 10% up uh, sales despite tariff headwinds. North America up 5%. Greater China, which is the fastest growing from, uh, market for Nike, up 20%. So they're, they're really doing a nice job. Um, direct sales up 17%. Net income up 32%. Is that enough numbers for you? <laughs> That's the, a lot the, of com- <laughs> the company is really executing quite well. And they've done a really nice job of growing that direct to consumer business, which was a very important part of their kind of new strategy. So are we, I mean, we're a couple of years removed from Sports Authority declaring bankruptcy and the ripple effect of that. It seems like, at least for Nike anyway, they're free and clear of of any damage from that. Oh, I think so. I mean, they've they've been investing in this direct to consumer business for quite some time. I mean, Under Armour has too. I tell you, the other company that really stood out this quarter, Lululemon, which uh, I mean, they're they're tracking towards thirty percent of total sales now being direct to consumer. So that really is just that's the new model. It makes a lot of sense. It gives these companies uh, the opportunity to control the experience from beginning to end. And when you can own your your customer like that. Understand their tastes, their preferences. You you can start to build product offerings uh, towards them specifically. And I mean, you're seeing uh, what what's playing out with Nike sneakers app is just to me nothing short of astonishing. The app is big. It's yeah, doing really well. It's resulted in a lot of sales, and a lot of that really is just because you you can customize stuff and really build something that you want as an individual. A couple of things that maybe investors are focusing on, and is the reason for the stock selling off just a bit, is gross margins did widen. They're 44%, pretty solid. I think, actually, expectations for it were just for a little bit higher than that, especially with the direct-to-consumer business being a growing piece of this business. Also, inventory levels were up 15%, which in certain cases can be troubling. My take is that it is not troubling in this case. They're building inventory because the global business is just very strong. Safe to assume as we head into 2020 and the Summer Olympics that Nike's marketing spend is going to ramp up in the next 12 months. I, I'd be shocked if it didn't. Um, new CEO coming on board, right? John Donahoe of uh, eBay, um, solid player right there. Um, I'm sure marketing will be up, and, and the business looks strong. Uh, last thing on the stock, despite the little bit of the drop on Friday, it's still up nearly 50 percent in the past year. Is this an expensive stock? 32 times is not cheap, but. I love this business. I'm a shareholder. I'm not even thinking about selling it, so I think you're good. Interactive Corp. is a holding company with dozens of online media and services platforms. 
Care.com is an online marketplace for caregivers. And apparently IAC needed one more brand <laughs> under their umbrella, Jason, because on Friday, <laughs> IAC bought Care.com for $15 a share. And you look at IAC's stock price ticking up a little bit, says to me they got a good price. Oh, yeah, I think they... they yeah, they got a good price. I mean, I think it's important to understand how IAC views itself as a business because that that's ultimately what dictates their business strategy. And they consistently say they are the anti-conglomerate. They are not empire builders. Uh, they aim to bring these types of businesses into their universe, grow them, nurture them. In some cases, you know, turn them around a little bit and then set them free. Uh, we're seeing an example of that here with Match.com, which is going to be spun out here very shortly. Um, you know, it. it it doesn't always work, right? I mean, they brought Angie's List and Home Advisor under their umbrella, combined those two businesses. Uh, that is still a work in progress, though it's worth noting that Angie's List revenue in the most recent quarter grew again for the first time since 2016. So, I mean, the business has a lot of experience doing this. It just a lot of the brands that they own are just not brands that come to the top of your mind uh, when, when you think about some of the some of the more popular or powerful internet brands out there, and maybe that's where investors have a little bit of a tough time uh, really connecting the dots. But I mean, the stock continues to perform very well because the business uh, continues to perform very well, and, and Barry Diller, as we've talked about before, uh, has a lot of experience in the space. So I, I think that with Care.com, they see the opportunity uh, to take something that has a lot of secular tailwinds in in you know home care, whether it's for children or seniors. Uh, they're going to hopefully leverage that network, maybe bring in uh, a pet dynamic, uh, combine that with the home home uh, advisor business, and, and try to figure out ways to exploit that network and grow that network. Uh, but the bottom line is that IEC has a good track record of doing this. Uh, there's no reason to doubt that they won't give this uh, a good run. But if they're looking to create essentially a, a home version of what they have built with Match.com and how dominant that is, they're we're a few years away from that. Yeah, I think that's probably a bit of a tall order. I think that Match.com, given the nature of the market that that type of business serves, it's a bigger uh, market opportunity. But I mean, the care, the care business, the Care.com business, and Home Advisor business, Angie's List, those are all important markets that aren't going to be going away anytime soon. Shares of FedEx down more than ten percent this week. Second quarter profits and revenue came in lower than expected. You tell me, Ron, how bad is it for FedEx? <laughs> You know, I don't think we can think of FedEx as a bellwether anymore. Um, the, the, the dynamics of this industry and this business in particular are changing such that I, I don't think it's appropriate. This was a very weak quarter. Uh, they had to cut their 2020 profit forecast for a second time. They cited several factors that are hurting results. Um, the integration of their European TNT Express acquisition was one big one. Loss of Amazon as a customer, obviously another. Um, they moved to year-round Sunday deliveries. That has cost them more than they expected. They even threw out the U.S.-China trade war as a headwind. Um, then, then we go to the calendar. Of course, you got to go to the timing, right? So the timing of Thanksgiving holiday resulted in shifting of Cyber Week into December, which hurt the results. Um, they threw everything at at this report. Um, it's just it's just very very weak, and it doesn't really you can't really see it turning anytime soon. Well, you look at FedEx losing Amazon as a customer, and and that would be one thing on its own. But this is a not just a large customer; it's a large customer that has decided to go out and build its own competitive shipping service to FedEx. So uh, it seems weird to say about a company with a strong brand and is worth nearly forty billion dollars. 
But FedEx actually seems like it might be in legitimate long-term trouble. Yeah, Amazon on pace to deliver 3.5 billion of its own packages to customers this year. And you see a lot of headlines. Amazon is actually forbidding its 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 its, its customers um, from getting FedEx using FedEx to ship their products to to the end user, which sounds anti-competitive. And it's going to be interesting to see if if, you think? if, if that if that becomes anything in the courts. Uh, but Amazon's playing hardball here. They contract with more than 800 delivery service partners right now. Yeah, shipping and logistics is really hard business. Uh, and I think you look at UPS and FedEx for a long time have enjoyed more or less a duopoly because they're providing what's ultimately a commodity service. Right? You don't care who delivers it. You just want it there on time. Um, Amazon has has built this business that has changed the commerce uh, industry completely. It's more about convenience. It's about making sure they control that experience. We're talking about Nike and retailers like that wanting to control that experience. Uh, Amazon wanting to do the same thing. And and so now uh, you, you see FedEx and UPS and the like, they don't get to enjoy uh, just kind of sitting back and, and doing their own thing now. They've got to rethink this entire model and uh, and deal with some real uh, competitors in the space. This is one of those value investment, value trap things as yeah. well, right? Thirteen times looks awfully cheap, but the business is just in trouble, and you're really taking a risk. That's a risky thirteen times. It's probably a safe assumption. It's going to cost them a lot of money to keep competing, and that's going to play out on the financials, which leads me to think this is probably a value trap. And that's why I don't yep. own the shares. Normally, when six senior executives leave a business at the same time, that might be cause for concern. But shares of Bed Bath and Beyond rose ten percent this week when new CEO Mark Tritton continued to make changes at the embattled retailer. Jason, this guy is one to watch. Hey, extensive problems require bold solutions. And I think it's safe to say that Bed Bath & Beyond has been dealing with some very extensive problems. And this is a bold solution. I mean, whether they left of their own volition or some left and some were told to leave. However, that worked out. I mean, I think that you know ultimately, Mr. Tritton sees the, the need to bring this business up to the shopping experience on par of the 21st century. And you, you need to get rid of the old school thinking that put this company in the position that it's in today. And so I, I think this makes a lot of sense. Uh, to me, this is the do or die situation. I, I actually, I mean, I'm obviously been giving Bed Bath and Beyond a hard time on this show for a lot of years. I do think I'm, I'm looking at this with some some cautious optimism. I think if they can make this work, this is the chance. Uh, there's a little bit of debt to deal with on the balance sheet, but I think there's some levers he can pull in the near term. I, I would actually cut the dividend completely. I don't see any reason for a business like this to pay a dividend. I think the market would receive that positively. Um, I would eliminate share repurchases altogether, and then just get down to brass tacks, close underperforming stores, uh, again, bring the shopping experience up on par with what we're used to now with all of these other retailers. It's a tremendous market opportunity. Home furnishings and home goods, we're seeing Target and Wayfair and Amazon, companies like that, benefiting from it. There's no reason why Bed Bath & Beyond shouldn't either. It's tremendous branding for that space. Uh, they just needed some forward thinking, and I think that Mark Tritton might be it. Yeah, Tritton did a great job at Target as their chief merchandising officer. It's actually a loss for that business that he left, but it is a gain for um, Bed Bath shareholders. I think there's something here. I kind of agree with you, and 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 we might be wise to take a little nibble here because um, because I I think I think this isn't over yet. He took the job in November. He was named CEO in early October, and from the time he was named CEO, this stock is up more than seventy percent. 
There's a lot of optimism behind his uh, installment as CEO. A lot of the hard work is done, right? They've got the footprint. They've got the market opportunity. It's really just a business that has not been managed uh, in this in this newfangled retail environment that that we're part of now. And I, I think that he aims to change that. He's got experience uh, doing it, and, and I think he's going to bring that over uh, to to the job now. Coming up, if you're looking to take a road trip, we have got just the thing you need, my friends. So stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. BlackBerry used to be the dominant player in mobile phones, but that was before the iPhone came along. Now BlackBerry is all about security software and services. And third quarter results, Ron, a little bit better than expected. Yeah, not too bad. It is important to understand that this isn't your father's BlackBerry. It's a completely different business. And as you said, they're focused on data security. And uh, they're also a developer of software for driverless cars. Uh, in February, an important acquisition, they acquired Silent, which is a cybersecurity business. Um, as a result of that acquisition, you saw revenue up 23% um, this quarter, but it really was kind of because of that acquisition. Their, their uh, revenue from their Internet of Things business is actually down 3%. So that, that acquisition lending a lot to, to this quarter. Excluding one time uh, events, BlackBerry earned three cents a share. I mean, it's profitable. You know, I got to give them profitable is better than not profitable, um, but you know it, it's still a small business at this point. I think revenue is only about two hundred and eighty million dollars for the quarter, and um, they've they've got some 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 things to do before this becomes any kind of a significant business. So, the Internet of fewer things, I guess, is <laughs> really what we're going towards. Uh, serious question here about BlackBerry: Do they just need a new name? I, I'm not saying they don't have research underlo- in motion. Maybe <laughs> I, I'm just saying if I'm running a business and I'm shopping around for data security software, I am old enough that I don't think I'm going to be able to get the BlackBerry phones out of my head. I think that's fair. You could even rename it uh, Silence, which was the acquisition they just made, or there's a million other names too. I think that that's fair. Let's let's get them on the get them on the horn. <laughs> Second quarter profits for General Mills came in higher than expected, and once again, Jason, it was the pet food division driving the bus for General Mills. Well, I mean, it's plain as day to me, Chris. Blue Buffalo was the most important move this company made over the last decade. Full stop. It's not even debatable. Um, I mean, we could sit here and debate how much they paid for it, whether that was fair or not. But you know what that did? It gave them some hope. It gave them some time. It gave them the opportunity to highlight some growth on the call. Because when you look at the business itself, organic sales relatively flat. I think up one percent. The business isn't moving really uh, as a whole. But net sales up in pets, sixteen uh, percent. Operating profit up fourteen percent. We kind of like to see that uh, flip flop there. Uh, but but we're not going to get too picky at this point. Uh, you know, Mac Mac was asking earlier before we started taping here, where where do we stand in the world of cereal? Right, is cereal on the way out? Well, let me tell you. The word pet was mentioned 53 times in the earnings call, Chris. <laughs> cereal? 
just 21. There's clearly more enthusiasm for the pet side of this business as opposed to the cereal. And I think that makes a lot of sense because for people, there are a lot more substitutes out there uh, as, as opposed to, to you know that, that space that cereal uh, filled for us years and years ago. But uh, there, there are some concerns with the business. I mean, they've spent close to $4 billion in share repurchases since 2015. The share count's actually up. And with huh? a business like this, that sounds I mean, like they're business, doing it wrong. And that's totally doing it wrong. And, and so, I mean, like for me, I, I see that and I immediately question, "What are you thinking?" That's you got to go. You got to go the other direction there. The stock yields three point seven percent, and that's nice. Uh, it's had a wonderful year over the last five years. It's essentially flat. I don't know that I look look to this as one of those businesses that has this this tremendous growth ahead. But it, there's no question that Blue Buffalo is buying them some time, and, and it's working out for them. I know last quarter they were emphasizing their move into healthier snacks, which is obviously a trend here. Any any talk about that? Well, I mean, you know, listen, when you go through the PowerPoint presentation, the earnings presentation, <laughs> yeah. and you see all of the old El Paso and right. the Yoplait yeah. yogurt, something. A lot of sugar, a lot of sodium still in they that portfolio. They do love that old El Paso brand. I, it's, it's tough to say that they're really capitalizing on this health food craze right. yet. I hear what you're saying about the five-year chart of General Mills basically being flat. But you go back five years, they didn't have this division. They didn't have Blue exactly. Buffalo. And I'm, I, I don't know. I look at it and I think that the fu- next five years could be more profitable. I think it could be, but I think that they're going to have to probably make another acquisition of some sort. I mean, you know how I feel about the pet industry. I think it's a wonderful one, and, and, and frankly, I think it's probably it's more exciting than the people industry at this point, Chris. Uh, but I, I don't know that organically they're going to be able to get it done. They're going to have to make some other type of acquisition. And fortunately for them, they have the size they can do that. And pick up a copy of Stock Buybacks for Dummies. Yeah. Get that right. Yeah. <laughs> Shares of Winnebago hitting a 52-week high on Friday after strong first quarter results, both profit Profits and revenue coming in higher than expected for Winnebago, thanks to strong sales in their motor home segment. You doing a little shopping there, Ron? <laughs> Not quite yet. You know, it's interesting. I was under the assumption, incorrectly, that the RV business was still hurting pretty badly. 2018 was was real rough. 2019 has been pretty good for some of these companies, especially for Winnebago. Shares are up 100. 20% almost this year and I honestly didn't didn't realize that. This is a strong report beating expectations, revenue up 19% and that includes 12% organic growth if we exclude the recent acquisition of Numar that they just made, Numar being a luxury motorhome manufacturer. So 12% organic growth pretty good there. Um, strong growth in their towable segment, not so much from their motorhome business towable kind of getting it done here for them. Gross margins down a bit, but that was a result of the acquisition the product mix, earnings up about 4%. Operating cash flow, actually, even better. It's much stronger, up 46%. That's a pretty big number. So, you know, this company continues to do well after uh, an industry-wide, you know, debacle in 2018. Do you see yourself at some point later on in life wanting to acquire one of these Winnebago's and drive around the country? I mean, I don't know. For me, I, I've got zippy desire to do that. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's, it's difficult for me to really Fully right. relate to this, but I mean, to your point, I, the business performs well. I would travel in one. I just don't yeah. want to drive it. I yeah. think I would hit things. I, you know what? If you <laughs> if you buy it, I'll drive it. Because right, I'm right, now we got a one. deal. <laughs> we get a little road trip going. I Wreck like it, run. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys later in the show. Up next, retirement expert Robert Brokamp has some year-end financial tips that you are going to want to hear. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a partridge in a pear tree. Ooh, Merry Christmas, Christmas come this time each year. 
Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Earlier this week, producer Matt Greer sat down with the Motley Fool's resident retirement expert, Robert Brokamp. And it's safe to say that Robert was in a really good mood. Bro, how are you doing? I'm doing fabulous. It's my favorite time of year, Mac. It is one of my favorite times of the year. I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, be so dismissive of the other times of the, year. <laughs> the rest of the year. Yes, it's all good. Okay, well, it is the end of the year. Yes, and so in light of the new tax law. What are a few things we should keep in mind as the year comes to a close? Well, so one thing I'll just point out, that one of the great tax benefits a lot of people have at work is their flexible spending account. And for a lot of those, you have to spend that money before the end of the year. So I just want to highlight that right off the bat. The tricky thing about the new tax law was, in a, in a good way, it made it easier to do your taxes because it had you have a much higher standard deduction now. But what that means is, far fewer people are itemizing. So it's gone down from like 30-something percent of people itemized to just 10%. So there's not as many things to do nowadays as a year-end type of save some money on your taxes. One thing you still can do if you are itemizing or at least close to being that limit is to donate to charity. And if you're close to the limit, what you can do at this time of the year is just bunch your contributions, uh, do two years basically worth of contributions to a charity in one year. So if this is the year you want that great tax break, do it now. Or if you want that tax break next year, wait until January 1st and do two years of, of contributions to the charity then. Aha, because otherwise you're not going to be donating enough to get that deduction. Right, because you the, the standard deduction for singles in this year, 2019, it's 12200 for married, 24400 So you have to have itemized deductions that exceed that amount to get any value from additional contributions. Okay, and one great way to donate, we know, is to donate stock. A lot yes. of people sitting on appreciated stock. It's been another good year for the stock market. Right. So the great thing about donating appreciated stock is, that, so it has to be stock that's held outside of a retirement account, an IRA or 401k. Let's say you paid $10,000 for this stock and it's gone up to $20,000 and you've held it for more than a year. If you sold that, you'd have to pay taxes on that $10,000 capital gain and then donate the money, and you have less money left over because you've paid the taxes, so even your deduction is worth less. If you donate appreciated stock, you donate it directly to the charity. You do not have to pay capital gains taxes on those gains. Plus, you get that higher deduction because you could deduct the whole full market value of the stock that you donated. And if, and if you're interested in doing this, just contact the charity directly, and they'll help you with it. And Robert, another creative way people are donating is through donor-advised funds. Now, what are donor-advised funds, and who should be considering them? So this is another way of contributing, basically bunching one, two, three, four years worth of, of charitable contributions together in one year. Let's say you donate it all today, you get that full deduction. It goes into a fund. It's no longer your money anymore, um, but you do get to direct how the money is invested, and when it gets distributed to the charity. So you're basically running your own like little minor philanthropy. So you can decide two, three, four, five years from now which charities get that money. But again, it's a way to get that deduction today. And Robert, let's switch gears here. Let's sure. talk some retirement. Something that you and me are going to be, you know, we're, we're getting closer to. We're in shouting distance. Yes, at this we're in point. shouting distance. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually probably getting close. I'm almost in whispering distance. Um, but when you were on the show this past summer, you said that 70 was the new 65. Now, for anyone who did not hear that interview, what do you mean by that? Well, so the average retirement age these days in America is, is somewhere between 60. 
63 and 65. Um, but there are two reasons why that's not a good idea. Number one, most people are not prepared for that. Uh, there's a study from the Center for Retirement Research from Boston College found that about 50% of people run the risk of running out of money or having to cut back on their lifestyle in retirement if they retire at 65. We just haven't saved enough. But the other issue is we're living longer, and we may not be built for 20, 30, 40 years of leisure. There are plenty of studies that have shown that retirement may not be healthy for a lot of people. Um, so I think just for our own benefit, it probably makes sense to work well into our 70s, emotionally, physically, and financially. And that's such an interesting point because we talk so much about how much you need to retire. What's the number, right? right. What's the number? And we have the retirement calculator, but we don't spend near as much time talking about how to retire and what retirement might look like. Yeah, some of the, the disturbing stats about retirement is, first of all, the average retiree watches like four to seven hours of TV a day. Um, retirees have a 40% higher risk of depression. Your social networks shrink once you retire. If you think about all the things you do that's part of your office, the people you know, the parties, the gatherings, then when you retire, you're on your own. So um, you really have to think of all the things that your job provides besides money, and how are you going to replace those when you retire? And bringing it back to the financial piece, though, we're in a 10-year bull market, essentially. Yes. Yeah. So going forward, when we, when we think through retirement, we should assume lower returns from the market, right? <laughs> we should assume so, but I've been saying that as, as other financial experts for like three or four years, and it, and it just keeps going up. But certainly, for as far as I'm concerned, I want to have some sort of indication of where the market is going because I do love playing with my retirement calculators. And I certainly think that over the next decade, we should not expect that historical 10% annual return. I think anyone with a diversified portfolio should expect 5 to 6% just to be safe. Whether it's retirement or any other research or any other things you've been writing about, what's the biggest eureka, aha moment you've had in the past year? Well, I, I, I don't know if I would call it a eureka. I would just say it's a surprise. So, first of all, let's get back to the market, right? The S&P 500 is up almost 30% this year. No one a year ago expected that. If you go look at like the predictions for the end of, of 2018, what 2019 would be like, no one said we're going to have 30% returns. The other interesting thing that happened this year is uh, interest rates came down. So, the Fed started raising rates at the end of 2015. I think we had nine hikes. And people expected that to keep going. And now we've had three cuts. And now interest rates are back down to where they were from a year or two ago. That has been surprising to us who think that these low rates can't go on forever. It seems like they can. Um, not to even mention the, the, some, the trillions of dollars of negative yielding rates uh, from bonds from Germany and Japan. But what that has meant that as, as rates go down, bonds go up. And this has actually been one of the best years for bonds this century. They've been up almost 9% this year. So it's been a great year to be an investor in general. And as we wrap up, we got to talk college because I know that you have <laughs> yes. a daughter who's a freshman this year. What wisdom can you give me as someone who, who is going to be looking at the college decision in a few years for my two sons? What wisdom have you gleaned about paying for college, saving for college, the whole college shebang? Okay, so this is sort of unique to my situation and maybe unique to fools in general, but anyone who has a stock plan at work, my, my college savings plan was four prongs. Number one, I contributed to a 529 savings account as soon as the kids were born. Number two, um, we have employee stock here at The Motley Fool, so I always figured that would be part of it. And I sold some of that stock along the way and put it in my kids' 529. 
three inheritances in between. We, my wife and I figured between our parents and some other relatives, we would inherit enough to pay for maybe two years' worth of college for one of our kids, and that's about worked out. And the other one is cash flow. Um, when you reach your late 40s and early 50s, you're, most people are in their peak earnings, but also when your kid leaves home, your expenses drop a bit. I and mean, when we took my son off our auto insurance policy from being the primary driver to being a kid in college, our, our insurance <laughs> dropped hundreds of dollars. We don't buy as much milk as we used to because he's out of the house and another one's out of the house. So your expenses do drop. So some of, you don't have to have every penny saved before you get to college. Your cash flow will drop, so you'll have some extra money. And the final thing I'll say is, fortunately for me, I was able to convince my kids to go in-state, which is huge. Oh, my gosh. That's so nice. Nice. I like it. Well, as we look at 2020, do you have a New Year's resolution, or do you have some advice for anyone kind of contemplating what their New Year's resolution might be? Uh, So, for me, I always need some sort of external accountability. Uh, I may have talked about this in the show in the years before, but I'm down about 20, 30 pounds from my peak you look great. Well, thank you very You're much. You're my inspiration. Thank you very much. Um, but it took me basically putting $200 on the line with our in-house um, personal trainer saying, like, I have to lose this weight in a certain amount of time or I owe you $200. Um, so I need that external accountability. Wow, maybe that's what I need to do. It is. And, and my wife and I recently joined a gym so that we could both sort of encourage each other to go. When it was just like, if I just joined a gym and it was up to me whether I decided to go, it didn't happen as often, but now we're both kind of pushing each other, and that's been helpful. Well, I started doing spin fusion, and it is a game changer. Although I skipped the spin this morning. But I did the fusion. <laughs> oh, the one here at the Mountain yes, Pool? Yes. Oh, outstanding. It's so great. Yes. Well, we're very fortunate to have Sam here in-house and, and have that cult. That's part of it. There's a cultural a culture of wellness here at the Motley Fool. There's study after study shows that you know your, your weight is going to be something close to like the five people you're closest to. So if you want to get in better physical shape and, and financial shape, hang, hang out with people who are good at keeping in shape and good with their money. Well, true story. We were doing the stretching, and I was obviously doing something wrong and in some sort of pain. And <laughs> Sam says to me, I'm trying to get you not to make that face. <laughs> so there you go. There Robert you go. Brokamp is a certified financial planner and our in-house retirement expert. Robert, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. If you want to hear more from Robert Brokamp, just check out Motley Fool Answers. It's our weekly podcast hosted by Allison Southwick and Robert. It's free to subscribe, so check it out when you get a chance. Up next, something we haven't done in a very long time. We've got a round of buy, sell, or hold. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. All right, before we get to Robert Brokamp, quick shout-out to Quip. This year's gift can start next year's good habit with Quip. Quip is something that is sure to put a smile on everyone's mouth because it is dental care that they'll actually want to use every day. The electric toothbrush has sensitive sonic vibrations and a timer with 30-second pulses to guide your routine. And the floss dispenser has pre-marked strings so you always use the right amount. Plus... Quip will deliver fresh brush heads, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months. We've got a lot of people here at Full Global Headquarters who use Quip, and they love it. You can check it out at getquip.com. Save on gift sets, and your first refill is free 
when you get a refill plan that's your first refill free just go to getquip.com/fool g e t k u i p.com/fool getquip.com/fool all right let's get to robert brocamp you're all i want for christmas as always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio once again with Jason Moser and Ron Gross. Before we get to the stocks on our radar, something we have not done in a very long time, and that's buy, sell, or hold. And figured, nice. because of the season, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to be a holiday-themed buy, sell, or hold. So, again, for those unfamiliar, we're not talking about stocks. We're talking about objects or concepts or things that we would treat if they were stocks. So, Ron, yes, I'll start with you. Please. If, if eggnog were a stock, are you buying, selling, or holding? Don't tweet me, don't email me, but I have to be honest, I've never tasted eggnog in my entire life. It seems very thick, in a not a good way, and yellowy. Um, so, I'm going to have to say sell, because the thought of it makes me gag just a little bit. Uh, I'll just throw out there that radio at fool.com is our email address for anyone who wants to weigh on that. Jason, what about you? Yeah, feel free to add me because I'm selling that stuff all day long. I hate it. I don't touch it when it enters my fridge. It just, I might as well throw it out because I think it's gross. Uh, I, I'm also a strong sell on that. But okay. let's go to our man behind the glass, Steve Broido. <laughs> Mac uh, is just producer Matt head. Greer is buying he all of the shares it. that we're selling. But Steve, what about you? I've never tasted it either, so I guess it would be a hold. <laughs> but there's alcohol in it, it's right? There's booze yeah, in yeah, it. Yeah, so I'll take the bourbon. Well, you got to add the bourbon. I mean, you buy it just like Mac in, loves it. You though. know, it's you know a what? Milk, milk jug, right? I'll, I'll just let's just separate the eggnog. I'll, yeah, I'll just take the bourbon. I'm, I'm, I like that thinking. Uh, Jason, buy, sell, or hold the idea that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. All right, so this is probably going to piss somebody off, but I feel pretty <laughs> strongly about this. It's not a Christmas movie, uh, and I'm I'm in line with Bruce Willis's thinking here, if, if I'm not mistaken. It is. A movie that occurs during Christmas. Christmas is not integral to this story. And and let me just say, I love this movie. I'll watch it anytime it's on. It's just not a Christmas movie. I have to agree. It's a fantastic movie. It holds up. I'll watch it all day long. It's absolutely not a Christmas movie. I mean, is Gremlins a Christmas movie, Chris? No, but it's not also not a classic in the Same way that Prince Die Hard oh, is. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on. <laughs> Steve Ryder, what do you think? You know, I didn't even know there was a relationship between Die Hard and Christmas. <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I just didn't even know. Come on. The, the first guy that Bruce Willis offs and he writes on him, now I have a machine gun too. Ho, ho, ho. Yes, it is a Christmas movie. Ooh, You're both right. Taking right. the other okay, side of the train. Uh, have some disagreement here. Uh, Ron, sweet potato latkes. Oh, Are you buying, hello. selling, or holding? So I love sweet potatoes, and I actually love sweet potato latkes. But if it's the holiday season, I have to be a traditionalist here. So if it's Hanukkah, I've got to go with just regular potato latkes. See, I'm a big fan of latkes. I've never had the sweet potato ones. I think I'm a hold on this. Uh, what about you? I think I'd have to go hold because, like you, I mean, I've had regular latka. I, I'm okay with sweet potatoes, but I really only eat them during Thanksgiving, and that's about it. So I'm just undecided. Steve? Must be living under a rock because I don't believe I've tasted one. I, what am I doing with my freezer? The, oh the my golden God. brand in the frozen food section is pretty good. Just you, you I do like sweet there. potatoes. Yeah. Steve, before Ron and I hit the road in the Winnebago <laughs> for our road trip across America, Ron's going to host a party 
and we'll make sure he cooks up some latkes because they're fabulous. Yeah. Um, two more before we get to radar stocks. Mistletoe, Jason. Are we buying, selling, or holding mistletoe? Listen, man, I don't understand how this isn't a lawsuit just waiting <laughs> to happen. I mean, if I see mistletoe at a party, I'm running the other direction. I'm happily selling. Ron? I'm selling. I do not like to kiss strangers nor acquaintances. <laughs> so I have to stay away. It, it really seems like uh, it is a product of a bygone era and uh, is worth selling now. It, it's sort of decorative to look at, but it's I. It's like I, a holiday spin the bottle. <laughs> Steve? Yeah, I'm selling. Just leave it there. Good, because I was really worried you were going to come to the table with, I'm unfamiliar with this mistletoe. <laughs> Um, uh, maybe this is a reflection of my age. I'm not going to put this on anyone else's. But uh, Ron, buy, sell, or hold, staying up until midnight on New Year's Eve. This actually makes me a little sad because <laughs> because I, ha- I have to sell it. I think because that's I'm old. And in, in the olden days, I would have easily stayed up and been, been very proud of it, and it would have been fun. And now it's difficult. It really does seem like one of those things that's age-dependent. I remember being a kid, and I wasn't allowed to stay up. And then I got at some point, it's like, you know what? You're old enough now. You can stay up. But now I'm sort of like, I'm a hold on this because if I happen to be up... Okay, yeah, that's fair. Okay, all right. Yeah, I think for right now, it's still a buy because we get to stay up with our kids. Uh, They're 13 and going on 15. But I think in the next couple of years, they're going to start going out and, and you know causing trouble, which is going to make me feel like I have to stay up too late. Uh, and that's going to make me probably take this a little bit of a different direction. But for now, I, I like being able to do it, so that's a buy. Steve, does the fact that uh, we're not just flipping a year, but we're flipping a decade, we're going to be kicking off the 2020s, does that move the needle at all for you on this one? I don't think so. And I think it's it's because every year I know exactly what's going to happen at midnight. Nothing, <laughs> nothing happens. Well, the ball drops in Times Square. All those people in Times Square. Nothing happens. <laughs> wow. Drop us an email, radio at fool.com. And uh, you know what? Bring the heat on eggnog, Die Hard as a Christmas movie, any of the things we've talked about. Let's get to the stocks on our radar. And Steve will hit you with a question. Ron, you're up first. What are you looking at? As the year draws to a close, I'm going to go back one last time to American Tower, AMT, a real estate investment trust, one of the largest owners of multi-tenant communications towers, over 171,000 towers, providing a critical part of the country's digital infrastructure, strong unit economics, competitive advantages, 5G revolution, a really nice catalyst, raised their dividends for the last 30 consecutive quarters. Stock's up 40% this year, but there's still lots of upside. I'm sorry. I just got to make a comment about the 5G thing. I'm, I'm worried that, the, that 5G... It's oversold? Uh, no, I'm just worried that it's the new buzz phrase that companies throw in there. You know, A few years ago, it was China. It's like, and we're looking into China. And now it's just like, and also, our business, uh, it's going to play a role with 5G. No, well, it's coming. I mean, Internet of Things, and Ron told you with BlackBerry, it's the inter- Internet of Fewer Things, apparently, now. So, Steve, question about American Tower? So, I'm embarrassed to say this. I own the company. Does American Tower just find tall objects to put things on? Is that is that the whole business? <laughs> they, well, they build the towers and put the, and put communications equipment on them. Yes, and I'm glad you own. But them. they build the towers. Yeah, it's not just finding a water tower and sticking. They don't own on. the land, but they own the tower. 
Jason Moser, what are you looking at? Uh, yeah, a company called Serence. The ticker is CRNC. And if you've not heard of this company, then that's okay because it's still relatively new to the public markets. It was a, a spinoff from Nuance Communications back in October. So this is a small cap company, and, and Serence builds automotive cognitive assistance solutions. Sounds pretty fancy, Easy for you right? To say. Yeah, well, I mean, it really just plays into that augmented reality and, and AI, artificial intelligence market that, that I continue to follow, um, and, and ultimately bringing that into automobile. In, in the form of assistance, whether it's for information communication or entertainment or safety or convenience, uh, Serence is looking at ways to help change uh, the the automobile space. And so, I think this is an interesting business. Going to learn more about it from CES this year, and uh, got it on the radar on the uh, AR service. Steve, question about Serence: self-driving cars. What year? I keep hearing it's coming. What year? Fully automated. When? When's it happening? Oh, I think a decade at least. Got a stock you want to add to your watch list, Steve? Well, I think I may go with Serence. It sounds kind of interesting. They know. I like the towers, though. <laughs> All right. Ron Gross, Jason Moser. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank, Thank you, Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.